Here we go. Episode 2, BostonSportsWave.com podcast. I am the host, Sam Fetterman. It is Friday, December 3rd, 2021. A lot has happened since we last clicked post on the BostonSportsWave.com podcast. Make sure you check out all the coverage of all five major professional Boston sports teams and Boston College on bostonsportswave.com, you know, and all five of those teams have something to go over this week. And you can find coverage of all of them, pretty much anything you need to know, on bostonsportswave.com with our great writers. And we're going to start, though, because we got a lot of stuff to talk about. We're going to start with the Patriots, who are coming off a big win against the Tennessee Titans. And, you know, if you'll read some of the articles that Boston Sports Wave put out, um, or pretty much any outlet about the game that they played against the Titans, the run defense is the major, major, major concern in this game because the Patriots allowed... 270 rushing yards on about seven yards per attempt against Dontrell Hilliard and Deontay Foreman, who are not good. I mean, Moss and Singletary for the Bills aren't very good in the first place, but they're a step above Hilliard and Foreman. So the Patriots' run defense needs to step up. Whether it's going to be Henry Anderson doing something for the first time really all year, I'm going to call Henry Anderson out. I thought I thought he was going to be a big addition to this team. He's done nothing. Um, I think Barmore has been great. Godshaw has been great when we need him to be. But the entire run defense had a terrible game against the Titans. And the Bills' offense is better than the Titans' offense at this point with, uh, with the state of the Titans. And the defense for the Patriots lives very dangerously. It's what? The number one scoring defense in the league. But they live very dangerously off that big play, both for themselves, really. And they they are number one in the league in forcing turnovers. And that, that's kind of a hard way to go about this. Number 23 in, in rush yards per attempt allowed. Yes, they're number three in net yards for pass attempts, and they they're a pretty good pass. We're a pretty good pass defense with the Patriots, but have the Patriots faced a quarterback that is as talented as Josh Allen yet this year, as physically gifted, someone with a higher individual game upside than Josh Allen so far this year? I don't think so, and we saw what Allen did to the Patriots last year against. Um, a ravaged defense compared to this one, but we still know everything that Josh Allen can do. He's so dangerous. And even in the run game with how bad the run defense was last week, allowing 270 yards, they allowed 40, 99 and 78 in the three previous games, but they allowed 163 to the chargers. It's been big plays on the ground that a lot of teams have been able to put on the Patriots this year. The Titans had a bunch, but again, Back-to-back games where the Patriots forced four turnovers. And the Patriots have just one turnover on offense in their last three games. And the turnover battle is so key for the Patriots. But you can't just assume 
that you're going to get three, four turnovers in a game. You, you don't game plan for that. You game plan to stop what the other team does well. And that's not the running game for Buffalo. It's the pass game when it's on. And while Buffalo is probably going to try and run the ball a lot on this Patriots rush defense, their identity is still with Josh Allen and throwing the football. Even when Allen has some of his moments that you see out of him every once in a while, he has, what, seven picks in his last four games? Yeah, like that's that's really it, – it's not even uncharacteristic of him to have a ton of picks, a ton of turnovers. He's got a, what, a 70% completion percentage but seven picks in this in this stretch very Josh Allen like if if you're going to ask me this is a guy who is incredibly physically gifted so he's 6 foot 5 237 pounds. he's a tank in the running game phenomenal arm probably the maybe the strongest arm in the entire league just on pure arm strength and he's definitely taken a step back this year <coughs> compared to last But is still very good quarterback in this in this National Football League. And last season, J.C. Jackson against Stephon Diggs was a horrendous mismatch for the Patriots. Diggs destroyed J.C. Jackson in that final in that Monday Night Football game in Week 16. And to be honest with you, you you can you can't have that. If you're the Patriots, you, you can't have that like that game. OK, the Patriots are probably never going to win it anyway. But in either way, in that game, J.C. Jackson against Diggs, six targets, four catches, 87 yards and two touchdowns. It's definitely the worst game of his career, if you're going to ask me. And I, I really do like J.C. Jackson a lot. I think he is he's made significant strides this year as a cover corner against elite receivers stepping up to be the number 1 guy for this team and what JC Jackson was so excellent at in the past obviously as a press corner he's just become a much smarter player over the last couple over he's been a smarter player this year than in the past and it's really shown these last four weeks, he, he was the November uh, defensive player of the month in the in the AFC, allowing literally four catches and having four interceptions in, in those four games. He was locked 0.0 passer rating. Like, I'm not kidding about that. This guy is completely locked down. But now he faces the biggest challenge of his season in Stefan Diggs. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's still a mismatch for the Patriots, even with all the strides JC has taken this year. So it's going to need to be a big game. This, the safeties are going to need to step up like they always do. I think the linebackers as well. Um, because you can't, you, you have to force mistakes. The, the secondary needs to be aggressive on Josh Allen. You're not going to win this game by letting Josh Allen just pick you apart you have to be the aggressors on the defensive end and i think that the, for the patriots that's going to start and finish with that's going to start with the pass rush it's going to start with 
and it's going to continue with the secondary. Like, there's no one place that needs to be focused on. I think everything needs to really be in sync. The Patriots need to play smart, and they need to play aggressive on defense. And the Bills are the best defense in, that the Patriots have faced all season. Um, the question, remember, if you remember the last time the Patriots played, if you remember when the Patriots played against the Bucks early in the season, the Bucks were able to literally sh- completely shut down the run. And the Chief and the and the Bills are the number two rush defense in football by yards per attempt. And um, the Patriots really lost that game against the Bucks because they couldn't control the clock whatsoever. They couldn't get anything on the ground. Obviously, establishing the run isn't like the most important thing in the world, but you still need to be able to run the football, which the Patriots were not able to do against the Bucks. If the Patriots can run the football against the Bills, control the clock, keep the ball out of Allen's hands, that is going to be beneficial to this team winning. And the Patriots have really punished teams on the ground this year. They are one of the best running teams in the NFL. Um, even if over the last, at least over the last, um, literally outside of the Bucks game, since the Bucks game, 126, 120, 148, 142, 151, 184, 134, and 105 on the ground for the Patriots. That's really good. And I do think that this team has two really good running backs in Damian Harrison and Madre Stevenson. And I think that they are some of the keys to this game. But obviously the offensive line up front needs to be stout. Because the Bills' defense is going to show Mac Jones things that he hasn't seen. And they're going to try to make Mac Jones win the game, not make Mac Jones not lose the game, if you catch the point here. The thing that the Patriots have done so well with is just getting themselves in control of football games. Um, They really haven't... I mean... They can. Tr- they didn't control time of possession against Tennessee, but they forced four turnovers, and that's the- and taking care of the football has always been the key for the Patriots. Taking care of the football and controlling the game, and the Patriots when they do both of them, it's beautiful. When they do one of them, they can probably win. The Patriots are probably going to need to do both of them. Take care of the football on offense, and control the game on offense if they want to have a real chance to beat Buffalo, especially on the road, hostile environment, Monday night. The best thing you can do is long drives to take the to take the crowd out of it. Um, and the Bills won't be with Tredavious White, um, their best defensive player and one of the best cornerbacks in football. So I think that – and the Bills have had a major media at CB2 for a while. So we could totally see uh, more support coverages, um, more – more um fewer blitzes that send the house uh, more keeping guys back hoyer and hoyer and poyer and hyde are phenomenal safeties and mac jones has to be wary of pretty much everything that they can do and i mean they exposed Ke- the patriots exposed kevin byard last week and as for Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, can the Patriots do the same? Or, I mean, I think they're just going to do a lot of targeting of Levi Wallace in this one. But I also do think running the ball is going to be 
something the Patriots go to a lot in this game. Because, I mean, the Bills are such a great defense on against both that it's hard to really figure out what you want to do. But the one thing I've noticed about Mac Jones recently is he has these stretches, usually to start a game, where he is absolutely dialed in, like 8 for 8, 9 for 10. Or, and then he misses a throw, and he misses, like, then he, and then he starts missing, like, three in a row, four in a row. And he gets in these stretches. For Mac Jones... The key is to play under control and avoid those stretches and avoid any and, and avoid danger. Don't take sacks that are more than like don't, don't like throw the ball away. Don't take a sack. Try to be smart with the ball. Obviously, is the key. As long as you're smart with the ball, the Patriots should be able to control the game and thus win the game. And and when Mac Jones is on, he doesn't miss. And I think that's what the Patriots need to do. They need to run the ball. They need to throw the ball. And they need to take care of the ball. They they can't do anything. They shouldn't go out there and completely change their identity. They should play to who they are. Because um, who they are is the team that's won six in a row and, and seven out of eight. Um, Moving on to the Red Sox, who are the MLB has locked out the players association meaning that there will be no free agent signings for the foreseeable future there's no traction all the players have been all the articles and videos on mlb.com containing current MLB players have been removed and it's just the CBA updates he has the collective bargaining agreement expired as of December 1st Sorry, as of December 2nd at 12.01 a.m. Eastern Time. And obviously, I mean, for me, I stand with the players uh, on this one. I believe that the players should be able to vouch for the minor leaguers. I I believe the players should be able to vouch for themselves to get better working rights, to get more freedom as to their free agent rights, their... their, um, and how they make money, really. Because they are the money makers, um, and everyone knows that. And the players should really be the driving force in how Major League Baseball is played. If they decide that this rule, the players should be the driving force in in negotiations. But obviously that's not going to be the case. The Player Association will have to come to a compromise with the owners, and it's not going to be pretty. We're not going to have a perfect world for baseball ever, as much as I wish we could. Um, I think there's going to be a deal in February, March. I think we're going to have a season. I don't think we're going to have 162 games. I think they're going to cut the season down in the CBA. And I think that that's going to start with this game. Sorry, and I think it's going to start with this season. Um. I do believe that, like, labor peace should be the goal here um, long-term because you don't want to have this again. This is very bad for baseball. Um, And then Justin Verlander, whose contract was apparently didn't go through with the league, 
I'm really interested to see if anything goes with that. So if the Red Sox are potentially still in that market, they did go out and get a couple of pitchers, starting with Michael Waka, who really completely changed the pitcher that he was in August. And I think people hated on this move too much. Just because he had, what, a 5 ERA this year, doesn't mean he's a 5 ERA pitcher. and doesn't mean that the Red Sox are paying him to be a frontline starter. The Red Sox are paying him to be average in however many – they're paying him to be an inning eater. And he had a 3 ERA from August mid-August on when he stopped using his cutter, when he increased the usages of some of his other pitches – he started to perform better. Obviously not totally sustainable, but I still do think that this is a pitcher with some with a little bit of upside. It's a depth signing, really. And for the Red Sox, they made a bunch of those. One that I don't believe is a depth signing is James Paxton. I believe that James Paxton is going to be a, made, a contributor for this rotation, for better or for worse. I'm not exactly sure where I stand. I don't really have strong feelings for or against this move. I think Paxton was great um, when he was at his peak. I don't think he's there anymore. Coming off Tommy John, he's not going to be back until the All-Star break. Um, low innings pitch for game start in his last full season, in his last season where he pitched more than one game in 2020. Um, so, I mean, he's probably not going to be going much more than five innings ever, really. And that's totally fine. The Red Sox now have more than five guys that they can trust as at least competent starters. And his pitch data did take a nosedive in 2020, but I do think he was dealing with some injuries last year in 2020 and in 2021. I think he's going to be, again, average. And average is fine. There's nothing against average. A team with... A team of a team that was completely composed of average players at every single position probably wins 85, 86 games because there's not a single liability. I mean, sorry, maybe even wins 90 games because there's no liabilities on that team. Um, there's a lot more below average players than people think. And as long as Paxton can be, as long as Paxton and Walker can be around average, that's what we need. Um, Rich Hill, a former Red Sox coming back. What should really be expected of him? Again, be average, eat innings. The Red Sox theme this offseason with pitchers was they needed innings. They prioritized innings over production. And I can't blame them. They didn't want to go to five years on Rodriguez. They didn't want to pay Stroman $25 million a year. They didn't want to pay Scherzer $40 million a year. They didn't want to give Ray or Gosman the contracts that they got. They And I, I, I totally understand this. And I believe that the Red Sox prioritized then getting innings to cover for these guys. And I like that signing two lefties. I like Rich Hill. I was pre predicting the Sox would get him as a depth guy. They do get him as a depth guy. So opening day rotation, I could totally see them lining out with sale of Aldi, how uh sale of Aldi, Pavetta, Waka and Hill 
which is probably an average rotation, maybe below average, but that allows you Hauk and Whitlock both out of the bullpen. Or they go Hauk in the rotation and Waka and Waka or Hill in the bullpen. Or they go Waka and Hill in the bullpen and they put Hauk and Whitlock in the rotation, which I'd be surprised by. Then the big one, Jackie Bradley Jr. is back. And the Red Sox traded Hunter Renfro, who was really good last year. But mm, the numbers maybe weren't quite as good as I thought he as like it felt like he was. Super important to this team, especially down the stretch when Bogarts and Martinez started to really disappear. Renfro became one of the best hitters on that lineup. And he was really, really good down for and basically from June on, just like Hernandez. But projections aren't the biggest fan of Renfro. And it's unlikely that he has another, like, it's, it's unlikely that he produces at a ceiling that, it's unlikely he produces super high. He's going to produce, and I think he's going to be the best hitter in that lineup for the Brewers, which kind of says something about the Brewers. But I don't think he's going to produce at an elite level ever. And the Red Sox, literally what they're doing here is buying prospects. JBJ, I'm not a fan of, obviously. Um, he's probably going to have an 80 WRC plus, or 70 WRC plus with good defense and center, but they don't need center. Um, I think what this actually is doing is setting up another move. Uh, I do like Benelis, the prospect, one of the prospects they got. I think he was really solid in a ball at 21 years old. And I think he's got a lot of potential. Um, meanwhile, um, I think this sets up another move. Is it Seiya Suzuki in to play right field? Is it Chris Bryant to play left field, moving Verdugo to right? Is it Kyle Schwarber coming back and playing left field, Verdugo going to right? Are the Red Sox interested in a shortstop, moving Xander to second base and playing JBJ and right? I don't know. Is it, is, Does this show the team is comfortable with Dahlbeck at first base? Maybe it does, but I also think it's Casas. They got they want Casas there, um, pretty soon. Benalis should also make the team more comfortable trading some prospects to get some stuff. And I really think we have to wait until after the lockout to fully assess everything, because the Red Sox were. Are, they're super interesting this year. They're going to be interesting. I fear regression because there were very few injuries in that rotation last year. Only three games were started by guys that were not like starters, which is a lot better than most teams can say. But I'll come stall. I still like the Red Sox for next year. As for the Bruins, Jake DeBrusque, who scored the, what turned out to be the winning goal to, um, last night for the Bruins against Nashville, um, requested a trade. And I think that's best for both teams. He He's a good player. Um, 
but he's never going to fully reach his potential with the Bruins. He's got um, seven points in 19 games this year. And last year, he had 14 points in 41 games. His advanced stats are fine. He really isn't feeling the vibe. I don't think the team is feeling his vibe. So I like the idea of moving to Brusque. And I think he can be really good elsewhere. Um, I think the value is probably around a third-round pick, plus like a low-level NHL regular. Like not a not one that's going to hurt your team, but like, but like a low-level guy that maybe like isn't isn't bad, but like isn't a major plus. Um, teams I think could go the Ducks, the Oilers, the Capitals, the Stars could all use a player like JD. And I, I think that this is a, a good idea for both sides. The Bruins could also use that money that he's being paid, which is almost $4 million against the salary cap. I think that the Bruins can really use that money elsewhere. Um, well, he's an RFA, so not necessarily, but it does, it will clear cap this year and they can go after something at a deadline. That's actually going to help their team a lot more this year. And he's got arbitration coming up. He's an RFA. I don't think the I think the Bruins want to leverage value now or later. Um, Tuka Rask is back in skating, and I think that's big. Um, whenever whenever he comes back, he probably replaces Olmark as the as the um, other goalie with Swayman. Swayman forty two safe shutout last night. He is very very good. Um, Marshan suspended. I think, obviously, at the, I think it was deserved. But he'll be back, and the Bruins will be just fine. This is still a really, really good hockey team. Even though they haven't shown it as much this year, they're starting to hit their stride at times. Um, the Celtics win an important battle on Wednesday night with the Sixers, 88-87. Ennis Cantor's freedom. The, the new Nick, the new name, Ennis Freedom, um, with a great defensive performance on Joel Embiid. Just a really good all-around performance on Embiid. Really good defensive performance by the Celtics. And this is just interesting because the Celtics' schedule coming up is Jazz is their West Coast road trip. Jazz, Portland, Lakers, Clippers, Phoenix. Then home against Milwaukee, Golden State, the Knicks, Philly, and Cleveland. And then at Milwaukee. It's a gauntlet they got to face right there. And it's going to be really important for their playoff chances. If the Celtics can win six of those 11 games against good basketball teams, I'd be, I think I'd be happy with that. Because as long as they then take care of business against bad teams, that's what they need to do. Um, And the Revs, they had a playoff game on Tuesday night, went into a penalty shootout and lost. It was not a good performance for them. And which is disappointing because they were the best team in MLS this year. They really had the chance to capture the hearts of Boston sports fans. And they didn't succeed. But steps are made. And MLS will succeed in New England because the support for this team was great. And imagine once they start winning these playoff games, it's going to be even better. They're going to start winning these playoff games because they're building something. 
in Foxborough for the Revs. And I really, I really think they're gonna be they're gonna be just fine. And that that's the Boston. That's it for the Boston Sports Wave podcast this week. Make sure you check out all the articles on bostonsportswave.com. Follow Boston Sports Wave um, on Twitter and on Instagram. Make sure that you are keeping up to date with everything in Boston sports via bostonsportswave.com. Every week, check out the bostonsportswave.com podcast with me, Sam Fetterman. And with that, I will say goodbye and thank you for listening.